part two of chapter nine of my days and dreams by edward carpenter this librivox recording is in the public domain the adams left millthorpe early in february eighteen ninety eight and the next day trundling with the help of two boys all his worldly goods in a handcart over the hills and through a disheartening blizzard of snow george merrill arrived this extraordinary being in many ways so kindred a spirit to my own had now been known to me for some years i had met him first on the outskirts of sheffield immediately after my return from india and had recognized at once a peculiar intimacy and mutual understanding bred in the slums quite below civilization but of healthy parentage of comparatively rustic origin he had grown so to speak entirely out of his own roots and a singularly affectionate humorous and swiftly intuitive nature had expanded along its own lines subject of course to some of the surrounding conditions but utterly untouched by the prevailing conventions and proprieties of the upper world always even in utmost poverty clean and sweet in person and neat in attire he was attractive to most people and children of whom he was especially fond would congregate round him yet being by temperament loving and even passionate to a degree indeed which sometimes scandalized the uncle Gide, he was it may safely be said never respectable fortunately he was either too careless or too unconscious of public opinion to trouble much about that and despite the shafts of occasional criticism he remained always fairly assured of himself with the same sort of unconscious assurance that a plant or an animal may have in its own nature what struck me most however on my first meeting with him was the pathetic look of wistfulness in his face whatever his experiences up to then may have been it assured me that the desire of his heart was still unsatisfied to george merrill the arrival at millthorpe was the fulfilment of a dream and a blizzard ten times as bad as the actual one would not i believe have daunted him the departure of the adams had left the house largely denuded of furniture and for some days we bivouacked with a trestle table for meals and a sanded floor by degrees we got things into order acquired the necessaries of life and comfort and started housekeeping on a new footing for seven years the possibility of this arrangement had i believe wavered before george's eyes and it had certainly been considered by me but we had hardly spoken about it it was too remote on my side other arrangements and engagements precluded the plan on his the various situations he had found once in a newspaper office once in a hotel and lastly in an ironworks were not to be lightly thrown aside it was only now when the adams were leaving 
and george at the same time was out of work that the fates pointed favorably and the thing was done if the fates pointed favorably i need hardly say that my friends with a few exceptions pointed the other way i knew of course that george had an instinctive genius for housework and that in all probability he would keep house better than most women would but most of my friends thought otherwise they drew sad pictures of the walls of my cottage hanging with cobwebs and of the master unfed and neglected while his assistant amused himself elsewhere they neither knew nor understood the facts of the case moreover they had sad misgivings about the moral situation a youth who had spent much of his early days in the purlieus of public houses and in society not too reputable would do me no credit and would only by my adoption be confirmed in his own errant ways such was their verdict for myself if i entertained any of these misgivings it was but very faintly of the fellow's essential goodness i felt no doubt what rather troubled me was the question whether he would be able to endure the dullness and quiet of a country life with a remarkably good ear for music and a sympathetic baritone voice he had a ready talent which would have taken him far on the music hall stage in fact i hardly know how it was that he did not find a vocation on that stage anyhow he was known in not a few circles for his musical quips and his comic or sentimental songs and was pretty familiar with the doings and personnel of the theatres to take such a one away into the depths of rustic life might have been a great mistake probably if this had been the prevailing side of his character it would have been a mistake as it was the move proved a complete success in a few months or a year my friend was quite acclimatized and while enjoying like myself a day or two in town was always genuinely glad to get back again to our little home in cordwell valley as i have said the families i had with me before were both kindly and good sorts and in their different ways helpful and useful but a time had come with the growing expansion of my work when it became quite impossible to continue running things on the old footing and quite necessary for me to have the house really at my own command the arrival of george merrill rendered this possible and immediately a new order of things began merrill from the first developed quite a talent for housework he soon picked up the necessary elements of cookery vegetarian or otherwise he carried on the arts of washing baking and so forth with address and dispatch he took pride in making the place look neat and clean and insisted on decorating every room that was in use with flowers i for my part finally gave up the market garden business and contracted the garden ground into merely sufficient to supply the needs of the house 
this i cultivated partly myself and partly with the occasional help of an outsider and in addition i made it a rule to dust my own study and light the fire in it every morning these little garden and household works if not amounting to much i have still always found very helpful and rather pleasant as giving the bodily side of life some decent expression and at the same time rendering the mental perspective more just thus we settled down two bachelors keeping the mornings intact for pretty close and rigorous work and the afternoons and evenings for more social recreation as a rule i find the housekeeper who is a little particular and house proud is inclined not unnaturally to be somewhat set against visitors especially those who may bring some amount of dirt and dishevelment with them but george though occasionally disposed that way was so genuinely sociable and affectionate by nature that the latter tendency overcame the former the only people he could not put up with were those whom he suspected sometimes unjustly of being pious or puritanical for these he had as keen a flair as the orthodox witch-finder used to have for heretics and i am afraid he was sometimes rude to them on one occasion he was standing at the door of our cottage looking down the garden brilliant in the sun when a missionary sort of man arrived with a tract and wanted to put it in his hand keep your tract said george i don't want it but don't you wish to know the way to heaven said the man no i don't was the reply can't you see that we're in heaven here we don't want any better than this so go away and the man turned and fled like the archdeacon in eden philpott's human boy he flew and was never heard of again no doubt his objection to the pious and puritanical was returned with interest by their objection to him whatever faults or indiscretions he may have been guilty of they were occasionally in true provincial style fastened on and magnified and circulated about as grave scandals it was on such occasions however that the real affection of the country people for us showed itself and they breathed slaughter against our assailants george in fact was accepted and one may say beloved by both my manual worker friends and my more aristocratic friends it was only the middling people who stumbled over him and they did not so much matter anyhow our lives had become necessary to each other so that what any one said was of little importance it thus became possible to realize in some degree a dream which i had had in mind for some time that of making millthorpe a rendezvous for all classes and conditions of society i had by this time made acquaintances and friends among all the tribes and trades of manual workers as well as among learned and warlike professions architects railway clerks engine drivers signalmen naval and military officers 
cambridge and oxford dons students advanced women suffragettes professors and provision merchants came into touch in my little house and garden parsons and positivists printers and authors scythe smiths and surgeons bank managers and quarrymen met with each other young colliers from the neighboring mines put on the boxing gloves with sprigs of aristocracy learned professors sat down to table with farm lads not thank heaven that this happened all in the lump but little by little and year by year my friends of various degrees and shades got to know each other and this was a real satisfaction to me many lady friends also came to stay with us some of them unmarried which may who knows have been a cause for scandal and not a few married couples who liked our way of life and enjoyed talking over questions of household arrangement and simplification of course after reading thoreau's walden whatever simplifications i may have effected in my own household management seemed very negligible and unimportant still i felt that some move in that direction and some propaganda on the subject was really needed i tried hard to get some lady friend or other who would probably understand household affairs much better than i to write about the subject but tried in vain none would take it up and so ultimately i was reduced to writing on the question myself in england's ideal and elsewhere today i feel the importance of the subject as much as perhaps more than i did then i certainly often wish that our household life plain as it is was even more plain but i find that time mere time has a sinister effect in complicating life things arrive and cannot so easily be got rid of again presents are made by well-meaning people and cannot very well be returned to the donors new habitudes of life are grafted on the old ones without actually displacing the latter the wheel of life turns one way like a ratchet but will not turn back again and so the complications grow and the embarrassments multiply often to such a degree that they become almost unendurable and one realizes at last why death came into the world and how necessary as a deliverer of souls and a loosener of mortal knots he is for myself i can truly say that the waste paper basket stands as a signal of one of my greatest pleasures and that when i feel depressed which is not very often i go about the house and hunt up things to destroy or give away after which ritual act i feel ever so much better and happier simplicity and plainness of life are necessary on account of the frightful waste of time and strength which the opposite policy entails a waste which is obviously becoming daily worse and worse nor is it necessary to point out 
that if you employ servants to keep all these beggarly elements of life in order for you instead of looking after them yourself you still only waste your time and strength in securing or appropriating in some way the money with which to pay those servants as well as in the extra labor and anxiety of looking after the said servants a state of affairs probably worse than the first plainness again is necessary from foundation considerations of humanity and democracy to live in opulent and luxurious surroundings is to erect a fence between yourself and the mass world which no self-respecting manual worker will pass it is consequently to stultify yourself and to lose some of the best that the world can give thirdly from mere considerations of health the thing is necessary my japanese friend sanshiro ishikawa calls our houses prisons plain food the open air the hardiness of sun and wind are things practically unobtainable in a complex menage and lastly and most important the complexity of material possessions and demands all around one almost inevitably has the effect of stifling the life of the heart and of the spirit the thorns sprang up and choked them the endless distraction of material cares the endless temptation of material pleasures inevitably has the effect of paralyzing the great free life of the affections and of the soul one loses the most precious thing the world can give the great freedom and romance of finding expression and utterance for one's most intimate self in the glorious presence of nature and one's fellows. End of chapter 9